As has been mentioned already, we are in 2016 on this theme of strong and courageous. The idea being, especially at Northside, as we are in a time of transition with our leadership, uh, particularly the voice from the pulpit, that we want to trust, though things about us are changing, uh, we serve a God who is unchanging. No matter what happens, no matter what changes come our way, we can trust in Him, our Theme verse, which we already read together, is Joshua chapter 1, verse 9. And our endeavor partially this year has been to get us back into the Word. Not that we've necessarily come out of the Word, but just to be intentional about going through the Word as a congregation. As you may be aware, we are currently in about the middle of our Northside 90 Days Bible reading program where we're endeavoring as a congregation to read through the entire New Testament in 90 days. Uh, and we have asked people to post pictures and uh, different questions and responses they have to that day's reading. It's been a wonderful thing to see all of you in action. Uh, this particular one, I like that it's a fitness based picture. Kara Griffiths sent this one. Um, you say, fitness picture? What's that about? Well, I, you know, when I see pizza, I think of fitness. Uh, fitting this whole pizza in my mouth is what I'm thinking of. As she was doing her daily Bible reading there at lunch or dinner. And uh, we, wherever you do your Bible reading, uh, we're so thankful that you're posting those pictures, that you're uh, posting your questions or your thoughts as you go along. It's a wonderful thing to see a congregation engaged in Bible study together as individuals, as families. That's a beautiful thing. Today we're on day number 50, which means we are past the halfway point which is wonderful. We have more behind us than we do in front of us. And even if you're starting and you're thinking, man, I just get tired of hearing the Northside 90-day updates because I I feel guilty, I've gotten behind. or You know, it's all right to just start today. Just get one of those Northside Bible reading schedules there in the back. Grab your little bracelet to remind you. You can start at day 50. I'd rather you do 40 days of Bible reading than none at all. We hope that you will participate in that. I know it's certainly a challenge with young children, uh, but we want to encourage you as you go along to do that. It has been said that you can tell a lot about a person by some of their exteriors. As we talk about the blessing on Sunday mornings, we've been in this series where we've been studying our stewardship of God's blessing. Uh, Not just a blessing, but the blessings that he's given us. We've talked about that of all the things you've been given, whether it's your time, your talents. Today, we're going to talk about your treasures. The most important part about that is not what you've been given, but rather what you do with what you've been given. So today, we're going to talk about a subject that makes a lot of people nervous when it comes to the subject of church. And I want to start by saying it shouldn't make you nervous. I apologize that some preachers, TV preachers, televangelist types, faith healers, have misused and abused God's teachings on money. But you need to know here at Northside, we are unapologetic in talking about stewardship because we believe that is so important as a part of your journey. It's not about capital campaigns or church budgets. It's about helping you learn to trust God more As you go along. Now, if anyone should apologize for talking about money too much, it would have to be Jesus. Jesus taught about money more than he taught about heaven and hell. 
over half of his parables had to do with money and stuff. Over, uh, depending on how you count it, but at least a thousand and maybe up to two thousand or more verses in the Old Testament and New Testament deal with the subject of money and stuff. So God didn't apologize for talking about money. We're not going to apologize for it either. It's very important. We're going to talk about it regularly, not to beat you over the head with it, but to help you mature and to grow as givers and to grow in your trust of him. Boy, that does make some people nervous. It's a very sensitive subject. If you're upset with the church that does that, let me ask you, are you upset with God? Are you upset with Jesus for talking about money that much? You shouldn't be. Jesus understood something that's very important. It's been said that you can tell a lot about a person, as I I said, about their exteriors. You, You may have heard, you can tell a lot about a man by how he polishes his shoes. And all of a sudden you start looking at your shoes and thinking, oh man, am I in trouble? Uh, you, you've heard, I heard somebody come up to me and said, you know, we, were, uh, we had a rental property and we were trying to find a renter. And he came up to me and he said, you know, you've heard it said you can tell a lot about a man by how he trims his fingernails. And he just put them right out there for me to see. Well, that's very interesting, but that sounds pretty silly. I understand what they're getting at, but, but I can, you understand I can trim my nails and be a crook of a person. Jesus said there's an outward way to tell about the heart of a person. It's very easy. He talked about it in Matthew chapter 6. And if you're turning there, turn to Matthew chapter 6, verse 19. We're going to read there in just a second. But if you wouldn't mind, also, get out your wallet or your purse or your checkbook. I have a money clip. I'm a bit of a minimalist. I don't like stuff bulging out of my pants and just... Being a lot of stuff everywhere, I just try to carry the minimal amount. So Christy gave me this money clip for Christmas. I used to just have a paper clip, and she thought I needed to step up, I guess. I, she engraved my name on it, which was very sweet. And yesterday I took it to the mall and added my phone number underneath it, because I do lose it on occasion. Um, and... I was thinking about, as I handed this money clip over to be engraved yesterday, just what exactly this says about me. I'm holding my money clip. I hope you're holding your wallet or your purse or your checkbook because, because we need to understand something this morning. Jesus said this, whatever you're holding, is an excellent measure of the condition of your heart. You can tell from a person's wallet or checkbook or money clip or bank account the things that they value, the things which are important to them, the things which matter most. So I hope you don't get upset. We're going to talk about money, not just today, but as we go along through the years, I want us to be serious as Jesus wanted us to be serious about where our treasure really is. If you're in Matthew chapter 6, we're going to read about, starting in verse 19, and Jesus said it this way, Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 through 21, do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth 
where moth and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and vermin do not destroy, where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Jesus, another way of saying it is your treasure is the measure of your heart. And we'll talk about that more in just a minute, but the, the, that gives us pause. Because you might look at your, your wallet this morning, or your checkbook, or your money clip, and, and you might find it empty. And you say, well, I guess I have no heart. No, it just means you have no plan. You might say, well, it's, it's just bulging with money. I have, I have a ton of money, and I have extra money back home, and I've got accounts full of money. And then you, you've probably got a greed problem. You can tell a lot about a person by their heart. Jesus saying in Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 through 21, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The good news is you can change and adapt and grow and mature your heart by doing one thing. And we're going to talk about that this morning. Giving is the one thing that transforms the heart. If you think about the subject of money, no matter if you have a little, if you have an average amount, or if you have a lot of money, there are three basic things you can do with the, the money that you have. You can give it, you can save it, and you can spend it. Those are basically the three basic things you can do. Now, it might look more or less complicated for you, and, but you're... What you naturally do with the money that you have says a lot about the condition of your heart. I'll give you a little personal information here. I am a natural saver. I, I just, I, I'm just wired that way. I, I put money aside for rainy days, and I, I think a lot about 30 years down the road, and it's just the way my heart is wired. It's not a bad thing, but if it goes to extremes... I can really struggle with trusting the Lord and with greed. I have a child who is a spender. Never saw a dollar he didn't like, didn't have a plan for. And so when he does his jobs at home, we have him give some, we have him save a little, and we give him a spend pot. And that's just discipline so that he doesn't spend everything he has. And some of you are spenders too. You have closets full of clothes, but you're thinking, you know, I need to take a shopping trip this weekend. You have shelves full of shoes. I mean, so many you can't even keep count. But you're thinking about that new pair. For those of us who are natural spenders, the, 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 the danger is materialism. Trying to fill that hole in your heart with stuff and the stuff that money buys. Now, if you are a giver this morning, I want to tell you, I want to give you some good news. First, this sermon is not about squeezing you even more. It's not about asking the givers to give more. I want to tell you that if you're a natural giver with your money, that you are very close to the heart of God. You say, what? God doesn't have money. That's right. He has way more than money. 
Psalm chapter 24, verse 1 says, The earth is the Lord's and everything in it. And you think about everything that you have, from the clothes that you're wearing this morning, the money that you have, the ability to earn wealth, all the stuff, the food that's in your pantries at home. Who gave that to you? God. I don't know if you noticed the verse this morning, John chapter 316. It doesn't even have to be on the PowerPoint. You know it probably by heart, John 316. For God so loved the world that he gave. Didn't just give anything. He gave his son. If you're a giver, and I'll tell you, in our family, that's my wife. She is a giver. And she loves to give. And, and I'm always thinking about the budget, and she's just thinking how much fun it is to give. Some of you know she has a ministry called Possible Seeds. That is a little jewelry-making, I don't call it a business, because a business makes a profit. It's a ministry. She spends a lot of time working with hands that are in a lot of pain to make jewelry with these little mustard seeds in them for one purpose. To give people encouragement. She has shamed me, not in a negative way, but just by her example many times. She's such a giver. And God blessed me to marry her because he draws me, she draws me closer to his heart by the things that she does. She's not worried. She, know, she knows God's going to provide. And of all the things that we do with our budget, the number one thing that's most important to her is that first one, the giving. She's taught me a lot. Well, I don't know what you are this morning, a a spender, a saver, or a giver, but I want to encourage you, if you're not a natural giver already, to grow your heart a couple of sizes larger this morning as we learn about making our heart and transforming our heart to be more like the Lord's. Giving can tell us some things in our spiritual journey. First, giving shows where our trust is. Giving shows where our trust is. For me, as a planner, a budgeter, a a saver, giving is a hard subject. It, It doesn't make sense to me that God can give me this amount of money and I can do better with 90% of that and God than I can do with it 100% on my own. It doesn't make financial sense. It's not, a financial, uh, it's not a financial exercise. It's a trust exercise. Proverbs chapter 11, verse 28 says this, He who trusts in his riches will fall, but the righteous shall flourish as the green leaf. The problem with putting your trust in your riches is that you do not know what trouble tomorrow may bring. World disaster, something in the stock market, uh, a pink slip from your boss, you just don't know. But when you choose to give to the Lord, you are doing something that's already written on your money. Across the dollar bill, across all of the, the money that we have currently, is the simple four-word phrase, in God we trust. I hope that if you are a person like me who's a natural saver, maybe you're a natural spender, the next time you pull out a dollar bill, you remember where your true trust and hope lies. We don't put our trust in our money or our riches, but we put our trust in the Lord. Now that sounds good to say, but your money is where you live that out. 
If I would take a look at, at, at your checkbook register, which I don't want to do, but if I could, I can tell immediately where your trust is. The scriptures say, some trust in chariots and some trust in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. Now, that's not something we can really relate to. We say, ah, chariots, horses, sounds kind of Bible-ish, but do you trust in the balance of your 401k? Do you trust in how much money you have set aside for a rainy day? Do you put your trust there? The Bible warns against that. Put your trust in the Lord. When you give to him, you really show your trust. Let's turn over to Proverbs chapter 3, verses 9 and 10. Proverbs chapter 3, verses 9 and 10. And this is what the scripture says about it. Honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of all your crops. Then your barns will be filled to overflowing. And your vats will brim with new wine. When we talk about giving and trusting God, the very first thing we have to do is trust him with the first part of our income. Just so happens today was payday for the ministers. So Greg Sandlin, as he does faithfully, put the check outside my, outside my office in an envelope, and I know what I'm going to do with that. I'll take it home. And we'll go look at the budget and see if we need to adjust anything for the upcoming month. And then we'll start planning out how we're going to spend it. But I've learned over the years that the first part of this goes back to God. That's what first fruits is all about. God wants the first fruits. Another way to say it is God wants the lion's share, and he is the lion who deserves it. Now, this is a biblical principle that goes all throughout Scripture. It starts in Genesis chapter 4. You know that story is the story of Cain and Abel. This won't be on the PowerPoint, but read there with me if you're interested in learning. Genesis chapter 4, starting in verse 2. Abel kept flocks. It means he was a shepherd. And Cain worked some of the soil. He was a farmer. In the course of time, Cain brought some of the fruits. That's important. Of the soil as an offering to the Lord. But Abel, pay attention here, brought fat portions from some of the firstborn of his flock. The Lord looked with favor on Abel and his offering, but on Cain and his offering, he did not look with favor. One of the very first difficulties in a sinful world had to do with the matter of giving. Now, we aren't given a specific, spelled out, how the patriarchal system of offering and sacrifices was to be. But we know that there was a difference between Cain and Abel's gift in this way. Cain brought some of what he had. He just gave God the leftovers. If you were this morning, as the giving plate came by, and you say, oh, man, here it comes. Oh, man, sermon's on giving this morning. Better get something. Okay. And you pulled out this, and you said, well, I, this is what's left, and just put it in there. Okay, that's, that's Cain type of giving. That's just giving God some of whatever I got. Abel did it differently. How did he do it? Some of the firstborn of his flock. Now, in an agricultural age, we understand that better. Giving the first fruit meant that, you know, Ron mocked my farmer right there. 
when he, when he brings in the harvest, that very first haul, whatever it was, was God's. That was the idea of first fruits. And, and you know, I am reasonably sure, unless I really mess up up here, that I'll get another one of these. Farmers don't have that assurance, do they, Ron? Now, you, you don't know past the first harvest. You don't know how much rain and sun there will be or not be. But when he would bring that first harvest in, and that's the Lord's, that was a true measure of trust. That's the idea of first fruit. I trust God even though I don't know what comes tomorrow, but I trust him enough for today. Some people say, well, should I give based on my gross or my net? Well, according to first fruits, you give based on your gross. God gets the first portion. But before the withholdings and before everything, God gets the first part. That's trusting God with the first fruits. When we put God first, we show our truest and best trust of him. The good news is this. When we trust him, he entrusts us. Turn to Luke chapter 6, where there's just one verse that I want to read. Luke chapter 6. Verse 38, Jesus says this, Give, and it will be given to you, a good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over. And and I really just want to focus on this last part. For with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Now, uh, I, I... Honed in on that word measure. I I want you to just think for a second about measuring cups. I pulled these out of the kitchen. These are different size cups. We got a quarter cup, a third cup, two-thirds cup, one cup. Now, if you are thinking about your blessings from God, which measure do you want him to use? Oh, yeah. One cup, baby. One cup. Give me the biggest measure you got. Luke chapter 6 says this. With the measure you use, it will be measured to you. I want you to think about that when you decide you're going to give to the Lord. What are you going to give? Jesus says the measure is the best way to know. What measure do you give him? That's the measure he's going to measure to you. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 6 through 8. Turn there. Remember this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each of you, each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give. Not reluctantly or under compulsion. For God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. We have to understand, uh, a couple of weeks ago when I was talking about the parable of the talents in Matthew chapter 25, someone said, boy, that sounded real negative. I just didn't see God as that way. Because God, in that Matthew 25, he says, you know, you've known that I'm a hard man. But listen, listen carefully. The master wants to bless the stewards. 
He wants to. There, there was a steward with five talents and two talents and one talent. And for the, the stewards who handled their blessings correctly, the five talents and the two talents, look what he says to them. I'm not going to pull it up on the screen. But he said, he said, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been in charge of a few things. So now I'm going to put you in charge of many things. See, when we show our trust toward God, we truly can't outgive him. He's going to entrust us with more. But we have to be shown faithful. 1 Corinthians chapter 4, 2 says, He who has been given a trust must prove faithful. And I think that's true not just with our money, but with all areas of our life. And if you are shown faithful, God gives you more to manage. Because you've been a good manager. You've been a great steward. Well done, good and faithful servant. The goal then is to trust God more. Secondly, God wants, uh, thirdly, God wants us to grow as givers. God wants us to grow as givers. In 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verses 7 and 8, Paul writes this. But since you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in complete earnestness, and in the love we have for you, See also that you excel in this grace of giving. God wants us to excel in that. When we grow in our giving, what we're really learning to do is trust Him more. The more we, the more we give, the more we're showing our trust in Him. Now, I want to talk about the issue of tithing for just a minute. You probably heard in the church world, giving and tithing. And some people use the word tithing to mean the word giving. Tithing simply means 10%. If you're giving 10% of what you've been blessed from the Lord, then strictly speaking, you are tithing. And that's a good thing to do. It is funny to me that Christians like to argue over this point. Some will say, well, now wait a second here. I don't know about that tithing stuff. It's in the Old Testament. That means we don't got to do it anymore. Well, okay. Strictly speaking, you're right. I cannot find a book, chapter, and verse that says, thou shalt tithe. Because I think tithing puts too much of a lid on what God expects of us under the new covenant. I believe he honestly expects more than that. When we start thinking about strict percentages, what we're starting to do is say, what's the bare minimum I got to do? What's the minimum I want that God wants? It's not about that. If that's how you think, you've missed the point entirely. Again, I need to say, uh, giving and tithing, these are not salvation issues. These are issues that are working to help you grow and mature in your knowledge of Christ and, more importantly, your trust of Christ. What you do with your money, whether you believe it or not, says exactly how much you trust in the Lord. As far as tithing goes, yes, it is a part of the old law, but I don't see anything in there that limits us from doing it today. I think it's good for us. I think it's something we should aspire to. And I think if you're there, you ought to grow from it. 
I wonder why it is that the New Testament is, is silent on the issue of tithing. I mean, it's very clearly in the old law. It's very clearly before the old law. I mean, Abram tithed to Melchizedek. We, we, look, we know that there are other examples in there. Turn with me to Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2, some scripture that Church of Christers ought to know pretty well. Acts chapter 2. We're not going to go to verse 38, but we're going to go to verse 44. This is the picture of the early church. Here's what Luke writes. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. I think the early church was way over the idea of 10%. I think that's why the New Testament is silent on that issue, because God doesn't want us to stop there. God doesn't want us to think the bare minimum there. Now, the important thing, as I said, in the subject of giving, is not where you are, but rather where you have been and where you're going. Now, you have to think very seriously about where you are as a giver. So, uh, under this point on your handout, I left a blank spot, and I want you to write something down. I'm not going to look at it. No one else is going to look at it. I want you to write down what level of a giver you are. If you never give, just write, never give. Some people, are no, they don't give at all. If you're a leftover giver, you just give what you have left as the plate comes by. Then, write leftovers. If you give... Something every week, right? I give something. If you are a, if you have purposed in your heart and, and you give a regular amount, just write regular giver. Maybe you've stepped up to that level of tither. Maybe you, you say 10% is good enough for them, is good enough for Jesus, it's good enough for me. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to 10% faithfully, first fruits every week. If you're a tither, right? I'm a tither. If you've been tithing for a while and and you make special offerings to know your Bible to Mission Sunday, I write tithing plus special gifts, or just write tithing plus. And there's a few of you in here that I've heard legendary stories about that I know you're sacrificial givers. You give like the widow. Oh, it's not that you just give two cents. You see, when she held up those two fraction of a cent copper pennies, she wasn't just giving a little less than two cents. When those two coins dropped in the offering that, that Sabbath day, what Jesus heard there was her giving her all. In terms of percentages, it wasn't just a few. It wasn't 10%. It was 100%. She gave everything she had to live on. And she was someone who probably couldn't afford to do it. If you've ever given of a sacrifice then write that down as well. Now, the real point I want to ask you is not where you are, but rather where you're going. We've had this 90-day challenge, so I want to challenge you this morning with this. I want to challenge you for the next 90 days, at whatever level you are, to take your giving a step up. If you give nothing, then for the next 90 days, plan to give something. If you've given something, then plan to give regularly. If you've given regularly, but you haven't just been able to make that tithe and be able to do that, then do that. 
It's between you and God. We don't have Greg Sandlin at the exit coming to check your hand out. What we want you to do as a Northsider is step up. Because when we believe, when you are stepping up, you are stepping out in faith. You're showing your trust is not in your riches or in your treasure, at least in this world, but that your hope and that your truest treasure is in the Lord. All right, now I've got to talk to you. There's a few of you that are in here this morning that are just laden with guilt. You say, I hate coming to church. All they do is talk about money, and I'm tired of hearing about money. Listen, I need you to understand This is about not your money, but about your trust. You say, I'd love to trust the Lord more, but I can't. I'm just strapped. I don't have any money, and I I don't have the ability to give. And I want to encourage you, if you can't give, then you need to start getting. First, you need to get a plan. I had the opportunity one time to eat breakfast with a very wealthy man. And so I was just a sponge. And I was asking him questions. And he said, you know, one of the best books on money is the Bible. It's one of the best business manuals ever written. And specifically, the book of Proverbs. So I'm going to give you some Proverbs this morning that hopefully will help you. If you feel like, gosh, I just can't give. Well, here's here's Proverb number one, Proverb chapter 21, verse five. Proverbs 21, verse five says the plans of the diligent lead to profit as surely as haste leads to poverty. If you don't have a plan for your money and the money that the Lord's blessed you with, can I tell you something? Someone else already does. There's businesses and companies all over there that know people don't have a plan and they're waiting for the moment that you come in unprepared. As I told you, I have a child who is a natural spender. We were going one day driving past the Town West Mall. He loved to go in there. I don't know. He had been corrupted in his thinking by his mother or grandmother or something. Dad, please, can we go there? They had a toy store he really liked and. I said, you know your father, son. You know he just, he is not a spender. He doesn't like to go to the mall. There's nothing you really need from the mall. That's in the Bible. He's sitting in the back seat thinking about this. He says, Dad, you are just going to have to overcome your fears. Well, the truth is, I guess I'm not afraid of the mall because I have a plan. And when I walk by and I see that something that I'd like, I have to think, is it in my plan? No, it's usually not. If you have a plan, then it helps you prepare for how you're going to spend and save and certainly to give. Number two, if you can't give, then you need to get good counsel. Proverbs chapter 15, verse 22 says this, Plans fail for lack of counsel, but with many advisors, they succeed. I, I think... That if you are a person who just feels strapped and you don't have a plan, come up with a plan and then find some people. And I'll help you if you don't know. I can help you find some people who are good stewards. And I want to point you in their direction so that you can say, here's my plan. What do you think about that? Many people in this congregation have done that. 
Uh, I think that that's good and that's wise and that's important. Number three, if you can't give, then you need to work seriously about getting out of debt. Now, I know the world says that wealth, or sorry, (laughs) debt is a tool. You can use it responsibly, but the Bible does not say that at all. You cannot look through the pages of Scripture and find one good thing to say about debt. In fact, when it talks about debt, it says run away. Work and don't allow yourself any sleep. Run like the gazelle who's being hunted. I think that's uh, scriptural. Proverbs chapter 22, verse 7 says this. The rich rule over the poor. The borrower is slave to the lender. The reason most people honestly decide they can't give is because too much of their income has already been spoken for. They have promised it to someone else. And God says, I don't want you in that. I want you to experience freedom. And finally, if you can't give, you need to get margin. Another way of saying this is to act your wage. Uh, There is a, a wonderful book written by a man named Thomas Stanley, just recently passed away. It's called The Millionaire Next Door. And what he talks about is that the world thinks of millionaires as people of extravagance and wealth and just live in big homes and big cars and have all of this stuff. But what he says, really, the average millionaire is a person you can't tell. They live right next door to you. They live on far less than they make. And they use the extra to invest wisely and to be smart and to invest into, into their businesses and things like that. How do they do that? Because they have margin. How do they get margin? How do they spend less than they make? Because they have a plan. Proverbs chapter 21, verse 20 says this. In the house of the wise are choice stores of food and oil, but a foolish man devours all he has. The sad truth is 70% of Americans, 7 out of 10, live from paycheck to paycheck. 70%. That if they don't get that next check, they're going to have some serious problems. The Bible simply says that's foolish. We should have some margin. Now, you say, well, how can I do all of that? Pardon me for making a little 30-second plug for what I believe is one of the best ministries that we have going. Not best, but a great one. Financial Peace University. This class is a nine-week class, and it will help you to do all of these things. And for those of you who have been through it, can testify uh, that it provides all of these things. It helps you get a plan. It surrounds you with good counsel. It encourages you to get out of debt. It allows you to live on margin. Now, the class, as I said, is already going right now. So you say, great. (laughs) I hear about it now. Well, we're going to always run FPU at Northside because we believe in stewardship, not just from the pulpit, but we want to help you in your journey get better at it. And so we have a church coordinator. His name is Frank McKee. Frank, would you stand up for a minute? Because not everybody knows who you are. Frank McKee is responsible for coordinating FPU. He has a number of facilitators that help him, and they run this class as often as needed, but at least once a year. And so what I want to encourage you to do this morning is to text Frank. He gave me permission. You can have a seat, Frank. If you are interested in FPU, if you are tired of hearing about money because you are so strapped, you don't have a plan, you don't have good counsel, you have tons of debt, you're just, you just don't know what to do, I'm giving you an answer. Send a text message to Frank McKee or go talk to him after worship this morning. Now, I want to encourage you, some of you, to do that because if you probably know this class normally 
Whenever we offer it is $100. Now, before you go turning over tables in the temple, this class, on average, helps people save $2,700 of money and get out of $5,300 in debt. That's an $8,000 turnaround. And I can tell you, Northside, on the averages, the averages are what I see, and they do way better than that. So this is a smart investment. But if you've texted Frank this morning, or if you will text Frank this morning, he will take one of those person, uh, people who give them a text, and please send your name with the text, um, and he will select one of those and give you a free class the next time it comes around. And you say, that's great. What if I don't get the free one? Good news is, uh, everyone who texts him this morning, the next time we have it, will have a pay-what-you-can-afford rate. You pay whatever you can afford with the promise that someday you'll help another person go through the class if you believe it beneficial. Okay? We're here to help you at Northside, not just to make you feel guilty. Well, the final point is that we are blessed to be a blessing. I know that didn't get on the handout, but you can write it down there at the very end. We are blessed to be a blessing. God has a plan for us. He wants us to use our time, our treasure, and our talents wisely So that we'll be a blessing, not to ourselves, but to him, to the kingdom. I'll take just a minute. You look over here. Um, If you, if you, (laughs) they kept me reined in this morning. Okay. (laughs) If you look over here, you'll see these maroon lines in the carpet. Now, why are those maroon lines there? Because there used to be walls there. And those walls were there when a congregation built and we we said we're going to double in size we're going to move from 20th and jackson to here there were walls right there because we were faithful in our giving of our time our talents and our treasure god has blessed us beyond we're full this morning we've been full for many weeks we're going to have to come up with a different plan but you understand when we're faithful god is always faithful and i don't know what all the big plans and visions the elders have but they have some and 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 to Follow through, we're going to have to be faithful in being good stewards of what he's given us. So we're blessed to bless others who aren't even here yet. If you have a need this morning, I can't think of a better song to sing than Tis So Sweet to Trust in Jesus. To put our trust not in our treasure, but in our Savior. If you have a need this morning, please come as we stand and sing.